David, thank you. Welcome to Not Another Empty Suit. This is my podcast, talking to interesting people who are involved in sustainability. Uh, please introduce yourself. Okay, thanks, Carl. Well, my name is David Brand. I'm the founder and CEO of an investment management business called New Forest, and we basically uh, operate uh, forestry assets around the Asia-Pacific region on behalf of uh, pension funds and reinsurance companies and other big institutional investors. And our company has really had a, an emphasis on sustainability in our sector and how uh, the forestry sector can really contribute to big issues like climate change and biodiversity conservation and so on. You told me you've been doing this for a long time, longer than me. So how did you get involved with sustainability and trying to save the world? Yeah, I mean, I guess when I was a teenager, I was in Canada, I was working uh, or, or spending most of my weekends out camping and canoeing and out in the forest. And so when I decided to go back or go into university, I picked forestry as a degree. And, um, and during my degree, I took almost all of my option courses in environmental science and sociology and so on, and, and just sort of really had a different view about uh, the forestry sector and what it could contribute. I worked for a forest, uh, as a forester for two or three years and then actually went back and got a PhD in what's called ecophysiology, which is understanding how forests respond to their environment and how forest ecosystems operate. And um, was a scientist for uh, three or four years and then moved into some of the international policy negotiations around um, forest conservation, climate change, desertification around the Earth Summit time. Uh, did a lot of negotiations on... So that was the Rio Earth Summit in 1992. Yeah. Some would argue that's when the current movement really got going. Yeah, I think what a lot of people said was the collapse of the Soviet Union in a sense unmasked in collective environmental security as an issue. And that was just the, that moment, you know, really when the Earth Summit occurred. And uh, in some ways, it's frustrating that it was almost a high watermark that we're struggling even to retain that level of uh, energy behind these issues. Well, one of the commitments from that conference was that we were going to globally work together to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And since then, they've got up by more than 40%. Um, that must be incredibly frustrating to think all the good work that was put in there and it actually, we've gone in the opposite direction. I mean, it's been a, a frustrating cyclical process where in the late 1980s, there was the awareness raised that this was an issue. It had to be dealt with. We had the Climate Change Convention. Then we had, you know, the Kyoto Protocol and, you know, the world leading countries agreed on specific emission reduction targets. Then Bush was elected and withdrew from the Kyoto Protocol. There was five years where nothing happened. Um, and then we managed to rebuild momentum to the, uh, the Copenhagen meeting. That failed, uh, really a breakdown between China, India, and, and the United States. Uh, finally, we got the Paris Agreement uh, three, four years ago, and then Donald Trump was elected and has you know, withdrawn the US. It's just been a continuous, you know, one step forward, one step back kind of a, a process. As a businessman, if I'd set a strategy in 1992 and was sitting here in 2019 and the strategy had achieved 40% movement in the wrong direction, I would declare the strategy had failed. And actually, as a businessman, I'd go and do something different. I'd say, okay, the problem's still there, but how can we address this differently? Do you really think that we're on the right path by having yet another accord or yet another meeting with the world governments, who are all elected politicians mostly, 
who are only in office for maybe four or five years and then maybe they're not interested in what happens long term. Yeah, and I think it's kind of morphing beyond that and it's starting to become a social license to operate issue. Um, I mean, I've been in the forestry sector all my life and uh, ultimately in the late 1990s, I came to the view that if we're going to make some progress on these issues, I needed to migrate from being in public policy to being an investor and actually pulling capital into the right things. And so I literally transformed myself mid-career from a policy person to an investment management guy and learned the whole business of investing and started my own company in 2005. And um, from the very start, it was about thinking about forests like a natural infrastructure. This is not only providing sustainable, renewable materials for society, but it's absorbing and storing more carbon dioxide than there is in the atmosphere. It's the source of all fresh water. It's coming out of regulated forests. Uh, biodiversity, half the diversity of life on Earth is dependent on forest ecosystems. So our goal is really to be able to think about that as a complete investment strategy that will have both the goods and the services much like any infrastructure does. And we've now built our company up to managing $4 billion of assets across six countries. We're about the fourth or fifth largest forestry investment business in the world. And uh, we've had the market leading returns now for more than a decade. But aside from the financial numbers, what planetary impact have you had? So, I mean, when you look at our um, forests, we've probably now got 120 million tons of carbon dioxide equivalent stored in the forests that we're managing. Um, we have uh, built up systems where we're selling now wood fiber into products like rayon that substitutes for cotton. Uh, we're increasingly uh, working with uh, community groups like Native American communities to reward them for conserving their forests through a, a carbon market uh, exposure. In fact, we retired a three billion ton coal mine in Alaska, which has been converted into a carbon offset project uh, with a permanent easement over it in one of the most productive salmonid fisheries in the world. So we've had some real um, marquee transactions that have been driven by you know these kind of uh, opportunities. But they're driven by financial opportunities. That the, this is generating a yield for people. So it's not that they're primarily interested in saving the planet, it's they want to make money and save planet at the same time. Yeah, I think these are, in general, uh, impact-focused investors, but who want a market rate of return because they're paying people's pensions, they're underwriting insurance pools, um, they've got medical benefit uh, obligations and so on. So there has to be rigor in the underlying economics and that's what we have tried to bring to this is thinking about sustainability oriented investments that's, that don't give a, uh, away the returns. And I guess if you're investing in a forest that's probably less risk than investing in a startup somewhere. Yeah, these are real assets. So what has happened really in the last decade since the financial crisis is that government debt pays no return. In many cases government debt has a negative return and so everyone has pushed money into these real assets, so forestry, agriculture, infrastructure, real estate, that have yield. And so in our case, we can generate that yield from things like uh, carbon market exposures or from timber market exposures, um, you know, and these are kind of now ways to create more optionality, if you will, in the asset class. And it's our view that the current 
investable universe of forestry is $200 billion. We want to drive that to a trillion dollar asset class by well, pricing this. That's where I was coming. So in the last few months, there have been various proclaiming statements from the United Nations and other people that all we need to do to solve our climate change problem is just plant loads of trees. You were telling me yesterday, loads of trees is actually a hell of a lot. Yeah, the, the issue is, it's not that we need to plant loads of trees to fix climate change, it's that now we've left it so late, we need to do everything. And that's, you know, moving everything onto electrification, moving everything to renewable energy, reforesting large areas of the planet, completely stopping deforestation. All of these things have to get now done urgently. And what um, a lot of thinkers about this are now saying is that the problem is that the time it takes to bend the whole energy infrastructure is too slow. And so in the next decade, we have to get right into land use, land use change, reforestation, forest conservation, because we could make that 30% of the early term action while we buy time to get this other stuff done. And then ultimately, by the end of this century, the reality is that people are saying the amount of carbon that actually needs to get taken back out of the atmosphere is like 10 years of emissions. The only way we can do that now, really, is through land use. I've seen some amazing inventions. I've seen guys that have created artificial ways of sucking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and machines that will sequester it underground and freeze it and do all sorts of great things. And I'm sitting there wondering, well, why don't we just plant some more trees? Surely that's got to be more cost effective and quicker. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of work around carbon capture and storage and other types of technologies, as you say, that uh, try to remove uh, carbon dioxide, but it's a thousand bucks a ton. And with the trees, it's you know maybe twenty dollars a ton. Right. So let's get going with what we can do, and maybe those technological breakthroughs will come. But in the meantime, we can't take the risk that they won't arrive. So we have to get going, and we need climate-friendly land use. We need to f conserve forests. We need to restore and plant trees, we need to substitute wood for concrete, steel, plastic, aluminum. You know, there's a whole set of things in the forestry sector that we can do that will make a concrete um, contribution. My last question. It looks pretty grim when you read the news headlines, when you listen to some of the political statements or even some of the uprisings that are occurring where people saying governments do more about this. Are you hopeful that we're actually going to be able to address the challenge that's in front of us and keep to one and a half degrees above baseline? Look, uh, you've got to be hopeful, right? I mean, uh, the, the reality here is that uh, we've burnt 30 years uh, that talking about this and it does feel this time is different, that uh, there is such a groundswell of uh, people, businesses are under so much pressure, um, you know, that I think that we are starting to see um, real concrete commitments and action. The, the problem really still, Carl, is we're heading towards 10 billion people on this planet and uh, people aspire to say something like a $30,000 per capita income. That's a $300 trillion gross world product. That's four times the economic weight on this planet that we have today. So how are we going to figure that out? It's going to be, you know, extremely challenging. Well, hopefully you're doing a bit to help. Hopefully I am too. David, thank you very much for your time. Really great talking to you. Thank you.